When I was young, my mother and I would drive to Vermont every summer. We'd go to a little farm up there for a couple of weeks and pick blueberries, look for gnomes under mushrooms, and watch meteors streak across the night sky. Did I see a UFO? Yes, I did. But that's a story for another time. During breakfast on the farm, always of microwaved eggs and dark toast with homemade jam, my grandfather would have a little white radio on with his little antenna peeking up and it would be a weather broadcast and news from Montpelier or Burlington. And to me, that sound, that scratchy whir was just magical to me. Staticky voices breaking through the silence, describing the world as they saw it. I could almost smell the musty little broadcaster's booth, a once handsome fellow with dreams now set aside, all so that they could tell diabetic ministers and vacationing teens about cold fronts and humidity. And now here I am, telling you what I see. And what I see is a giant metal door that I'm going to open, because that's how we get to the deep night. Oh, friends, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm your host, your guide, your turtlenecked guru, and I'm so pleased to be with you for another hour of regrets and revelations and rising stars. It's 4 a.m. Do you know where your meditation robes are? It's getting to be the end of another season here on the program, and we've had a tremendous time of it, haven't we? So many wonderful talents coming in, speaking with me, and then me sharing that with you like a secret or an office romance something we keep hidden. Podcasts are a good thing to keep hidden. At least I think so. Put them in a small box under the bed or buried in an elderly person's yard. Sometimes the drain backs up and I think, what's in there? And I remember, oh yeah, that's where I put my podcast episodes. (laughs) Anyway, my guest today puts her episodes right out there and they sail to the top of the sky as if affixed to a shiny mylar balloon. Everyone sees it and enjoys it, and it never gets stuck in a tree, just floats on endlessly to fame and critical attention. How does she do it? Why does she do it? Well, we're going to talk podcasts and comedy and making something that works with my guest today, Joanna Solotaroff. Joanna is a senior producer at WNYC, responsible for the podcast Two Dope Queens and Late Night Whenever with Michelle Buteau. She's the co-host of so many white guys, a podcast with Phoebe Robinson. She's also produced for the Parenthood podcast, The Longest, Shortest Time, and Wow I with Andrea Salenzi. Lots of people she's worked with have been on this show. How about that? And she's produced audiobooks for Simon & Schuster. She co-hosts the art school comedy Night. Let's go now. To my conversation with Joanna Solitaroff. Joanna Solitaroff. Perfectly pronounced. <laughs> I did it! Oh my gosh, I have a lot to talk to you about, Joanna, my new friend. I'm thrilled to be here. I can't wait. Well, I'm thrilled that you're here in the Deep Night Studios. And because uh, you and I have been involved in this great new area of entertainment, the podcasting. It's booming. It's booming. Well, you're really booming. You're at the boom. I'm still just in the muck. (laughs) Down here in the mire on podcasting's lowest ladder. (laughs) 
the entertainment of last resort. It remains. But not for you. You're doing great things. You've ascended into the ranks uh, as a producer, as a co-host, and all of this. So I want to talk to you about that because we're we're winding up our 10th season of this show. Can you believe it? That's amazing. Congratulations. Oh, it feels like an accomplishment. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I wanted to talk to somebody who was at the top just to know what's it like to have people really tuning in, Um, paying attention. It's lonely up here. (laughs) Well, I've been really lucky to get to work with such talented, talented, brilliant, funny women. Exactly. It's all women, isn't it? Yes. Well, that's um, that's the key, I think, there. I think so, too. That's where I went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Not much I could do about it. But I'm curious about uh, your experience as a producer and co-host there of hits like Two Dope Queens. Yes. Two, two great uh, ladies there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also worked on Why? I so for YOY I've just been like a repeated guest. Oh, I see. So for YOY I've made multiple guest appearances. As a as a dater, that's because we had Andrea in here. Yes. And uh, that's uh, about the dating in the modern world. So I've made many appearances as I I have settled down, but I was single and I um had a lot of bad dating stories. So I've been I on see. Andrea's show a couple of times for that and then I was also her um I did, uh, we did the dating game, and I was like the bachelorette oh. of her dating game. And did that work out with the fella? No, he told me not to fall in love with him the night that I met him, so we didn't go on a second date. Well, I guess you have to follow that advice. <laughs> I was like, thanks for making it easy for me. <laughs> oh, gosh. Ah, that's almost like a little prenup for the date, isn't it? <laughs> Totally. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't want to sign it. No. Well, why would you? That's the, it defeats the purpose. And Late Night Whenever? Yes. With Michelle Buteau. Yes. What a, what a fantastic talent she is. Yeah, it's so fun. All good hosts. They're Great all able. I've had them all on the show. Oh, Jessica hasn't been on, but Phoebe has been early on mm-hmm. in, in the, uh, like I said, it's been a few seasons. <laughs> I've been in a lot of basements. But what's the what's the natural how do you get there is what I'm interested in. How do you get to producing? You were doing audiobooks, you were always interested in audio. What's the origin, Joanna? What's the origin? Um I grew up in Minneapolis and was uh really wanted to do nonprofit work and was like hitting the pavement as a community organizer for six or seven years. Now, if I may stop you. Yeah. Uh what inspired that? Because not everybody says, you know what I'd like to do? Not make a profit. <laughs> I'd like to go into this. But, I mean, of course, it's a noble thing to do. Yeah. And, and helping people is probably at the impulse there. But uh, yeah. would, was there a model set by your parents? I grew up with very civically-minded parents. Yes. Who, um, they're very interesting and unusual people. And at the, I think at the heart of um, sort of their ethos is having compassion. They're very compassionate people. And um, I was raised in that environment. And I also just felt like I felt I've been compelled for as long as I can remember to try to like help people. And so with which is just like what I felt like was my calling to do. And so, um, yeah, I wanted to be a community organizer and I thought I was going to work in local government. Um, and that was like the dream. But yeah, in high school, I was like doing 
always like involved with like the food drives. I'm I say this not to be like I don't have like a Mother Teresa complex or something, but I'm a little bit impressed with myself that I was interested in being so engaged at such a young age. So. Sounds really braggy from yeah. where I sit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, um, compassion and helping people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it just seemed like the natural next step to do community engagement. And then I started working in local politics and realized it it wasn't nonprofit work wasn't the glamorous world that I had imagined. No, no, there's a lot of drudgery involved, isn't there? <laughs> yes, I spent a little time there myself. And, uh, <laughs> yep, there's a lot more cleaning involved than I would have thought. <laughs> Some uh, fresh coats to paint are required by anybody. It's so great. We all share jobs here. <laughs> That's so amazing. I know. Yeah, I was just working a lot. I never got a raise in four years because they couldn't afford. Why would you? To give, why would I? <laughs> it's why? Not, it's not why you do it. Yeah. And then like a typical um, twee stereotype, I started listening to This American Life and felt like audio was really what I wanted to be doing. And I wanted to be doing something more creative. See, so it captured your imagination, didn't it? It did. Storytelling. It did. <laughs> Well, that's a wonderful thing. And uh, uh, let me say, we could need we need more compassion and people helping each other out. And we and the, I think I don't know because I haven't uh, been around any kind of uh, young person in ages. <laughs> uh, not I'm allowed. I just I don't go I don't go there. But um, it seems to me that the young people have that uh, drive to do things. I wanted to help people too. I was, you know, class president and all that oh. and trying to do good things. We put up a digital sign in the cafeteria. What was your platform? I think it was to get that digital sign in the cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. It was just doing good stuff, helping out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was hard to make campaign promises because it- you knew you couldn't deliver. And pizza, everybody- pizza every day. <laughs> right. Soda machines <laughs> every six feet. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't remember what the platform was, but I enjoyed the speaking part of it to the making the speeches and telling people stuff. Did you have like a slogan? I probably did and now I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It was catchy though, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> it really set things on fire. And uh, were there early – so so uh, Ira Glash and that whole scene yeah. was your, your entryway. Now, the politics of that moment in Minnesota, we're talking Polenti, were, were earlier than that? Oh, my gosh. I Yeah, I think it was Polenti. Uh, wait, let me think about this. This is embarrassing. It's That's been a, so long. I don't, mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Um, I worked much more with, like, the local city council. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I can't remember. I think it must have been plenty. Yeah, I would. I would think. I can't remember when Dayton got elected. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Mm. I spent a, a little, a, a little uh, bit of time there. Is the only uh, in Minnesota? Reason. Yes, yes. I was there uh, performing with a, a group that was downtown there in the warehouse. Ooh, uh, the, the Jun Loon. Uh, theater company there. Fabulous. Yes, I was in drag doing a lady a character for the. Poly- uh, it was during the election, uh, two thousand and four. I uh-huh. want to say, and we had a great time of it. I lived with a Frenchman, and we drank a Czech beer and watched the Democratic National Convention at night and performed uh, all the rest of the time and rehearsed. 
Went to Certix to get my liquor. Classic. (laughs) A Frenchman in Minneapolis, too. You struck gold. Oh, yes. There's not a lot of those. Oh, yes. Yes. And I believe his ex-wife worked in public radio. Oh, wow. (laughs) Bringing it all together. Full circle. (laughs) But you need to have radio. You need to have entertainment when you're in a place like... Minneapolis. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. And like what I realized, too, is that so much of my community organizing work, it like a lot of it really revolves around storytelling. So like I was working with people who are transitioning. Um, I was working with people who are impacted by foreclosures. Um, And so a lot of the work of getting like getting appeals for them was like helping to build cases for them and like tell stories that made sense and also like elevating the platforms that we were working on and like the same thing in my work when I was like more at a civic engagement organization a lot of it is about like storytelling and establishing um finding a way to tell compelling stories about the place that you live and the people that you're surrounded by and so um I feel like the transition to radio is actually really, really natural, and I feel like I use the skills that I built in community organizing every single day in the work I do here. And I've been lucky enough, too, to work on shows that are aligned with my personal mission and mm-hmm. ethos, too, so it's um, I've gotten really lucky. Seems like there's some good-hearted people. I mean, in addition to being talented hosts yeah. and all that, they're also uh, good, good eggs. Great eggs. The best eggs. <laughs> the best eggs. <laughs> and uh, uh, and were you out there was going around with your little kit uh, interviewing people? Was it video? It was all audio? When I was doing, when I started out. you telling out, the stories of these people with the foreclosures? Oh, that was more just like case, like case Getting work. them together, like pulling cases, the information. Writing okay. letters, being right. in touch with the attorney general's office. You weren't doing profiles and things that then had an outlet. Yeah. Have you ever packaged that material in a, or gone back to it in some way? No. Mm-mm. No, you wouldn't because it's people's lives. Yes. At a very difficult stage. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Might not be the best thing. I don't know. Podcasts can be anything, can't they? They sure can, and they are. What do you think about that? Is there any, are there any podcast now that you listen to that you do so in spite of uh, how much you enjoy them? Or not, just be, you listen to them because you listen to them for so long, and you keep going. Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. Because I will tell you my example uh, for you as you think about it is is the WTF with Mark Maron. Yes. Because, listen, I don't care about cats. I don't care about guitars. I'm indifferent to the Rolling Stones. But I have been listening to that program for nine years or something. Uh-huh. So I can't I can't abandon it now. I might skip an episode. It's in fourth grade by now, by your standards. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like a nine year old child. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything that I've been super I mean, I just have to stand by this American life a hundred percent. I yeah. actually this is embarrassing, but when I was twenty six I was sort of like, I was like transitioning from community organizing. I didn't know what to do with my life. I signed up for a program to teach English in Japan. And I emailed, I was just like a fan in Minneapolis. And I emailed Ira Glass and was like, should I stay here and work on radio? This is so embarrassing. I've never told anyone this publicly. Or should I go to Japan with my boyfriend, ex now ex-boyfriend, but I was like, I love him very much. Sure. Um, and Ira Glass wrote back and gave me the best 
kindest advice when he was like, you should like travel and see the world. Like radio will be here when you get back. And you know, what an amazing experience to be able to like go to a different country with someone you love. Um, I ended up leaving Japan early and breaking up with my boyfriend, but it was still great advice. And still a good experience. I mean, an experience. It was an experience. That that you probably learned something from. For sure. (laughs) Did you ever get to the teaching part or you just got there and things kind of, when you travel with somebody, that's when they uh, reveal their true selves. Yeah, actually we were fine on the trip. I, um, I did do some teaching, but it was just a very weird it was a very strange situation. My co-teacher was, um, I don't know if I should get into this. My co-teacher was um, a very interesting woman who was also from the United States. And I think what happened is that everyone assumed that we were exactly alike in terms uh. of our personalities. But um, apparently she collected these like life-size Japanese dolls in her house and all of our students knew about it and thought it was really weird and creepy. And then I found out that they called her doll eyeballs behind her back because once they saw her walking home carrying a clear plastic bag full of doll eyeballs. And so it kind of it made me sort of um, like a, what's the word for someone who's excluded from society? Uh, pariah. <laughs> That's the word. And so I sort of became like a pariah by association and it wasn't a great situation for me. You don't you don't want to be associated with doll eyes. I don't. So these hold on. I'm sorry. This really I took this way off the No, this is right at the heart of it. This is what I wanted to bring you in here for. Yes. She she collected life size dolls. Yeah. Is it like a sex thing? No. Just large dolls. Maybe like more of a girlhood complex. A girl, okay. So they were children? Collectible. Collectible, like an American girl doll. I think, but like three or four feet. I think like four feet (laughs) tall. Bigger. And apparently uh, something that she's doing with them requires a lot of eye maintenance. Apparently, I know, that's the thing is I'm like, how could you know so many eyes? But a teacher pulled me aside and they're like, do you know what the nickname for her is? And I got shared in the rumor and I was like, this explains a lot why. Like once we were like approaching a group of teachers together and the teachers all pretended to like get swept up in somewhere else and like escaped from us. And I was like... I don't have any dolls. <laughs> that is consistent with my experience of every friend I've ever made. Because <laughs> I always think, well, I mean, early on, uh-huh. I don't do this as much anymore, but it still happens where I'm in the room and I say, oh, this person seems interesting and they're kind of like on the outcast side, so I'll talk to them and we'll get it going and then I'll, uh-huh. then I'll move on. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then that person kind of latches on to you. And right. then you can't shake them. Right. And then it's like, oh, boy, here we go. I guess I'm going with you to buy doll eyes at the <laughs> depot. It's hard being so well-liked. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm told. <laughs> um, uh, well, that's uh, – we, we wish her well. <laughs> I, I do wish her well. I hope she's okay. But basically, yes, yes, I got a personal email from Iron Glass that was very encouraging. That's very tight. And those yeah. things, they matter, don't they? Oh, yeah. Immensely. Yeah, yeah. I still remember it. I tried to, yeah, I've like, want to be professional, um, so I haven't brought it up to him because it's a little embarrassing. Well, I think it speaks well of him. 
It does. He, so, I, mean, I mean, it he was would be so happy nice. to have this story out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> try to counter all the negative. I oh, I, totally. <laughs> Actually, you know who else I hear uh, d- does that? And I've been tempted to write mm-hmm. her just to find out is Carol Burnett. Oh, my God. I found out she's like she will re- respond to your letters. And uh, she encouraged somebody to go on SNL or something. And had a, she had a very positive impact on that. Just one more reason to love her. I mean. As if I needed more. <laughs> That's right. She's Amazing. lovely, isn't she? Yeah. Are there people like that that you still you kind of hold on to as comedic influences? Oh, um, I mean, Maria Bamford is just, she's from Minnesota. She's the tops. And she, like, leans into being Minnesotan so hard. And it actually <laughs> is really inspiring as someone from Minnesota who, um, it's cool to see someone, like, lean into that brand because... It can be a tough brand to lean into. And so I just I've always been so inspired for her. And as somebody like I was actually pretty shy and timid and I was like terrified to speak in front of other people. But I would observe a lot of comedy for a long time, but felt like I never had the charisma or something to do something in person or to like seriously work in comedy. And so she was just always such an inspiration and I would like see her perform, watch her web series, listen to her albums. And um, yeah, she's somebody who I just idolized her and having like having such a love and affection like for her and her comedy. And then also just her amazing interviews about her managing her mental health and how reflective and thoughtful she is. She just was like, she's my icon. Well, she's terrific. It's a good one to have. Yeah, I love her. <clears throat> I just saw her down at uh, uh, Moon Tower in Austin. Oh, amazing. And just, to, I mean, to everybody there, I just destroyed. I thought she was fantastic. It was yeah. hilarious, as she always is. And uh, uh, I, w- I knew what to expect, but this is all new material, and it was all very funny. And then we had a little breakfast with uh, Ophira Eisenberg. Oh, wonderful. Uh, uh, my friend there. And uh, we were talking about things. She said, oh, you know, I was talking to Marie, and she 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 missed a word or something, and she she was all upset about it. Mm-hmm. I said, isn't that always the thing? The, the comedians will harp on that one little right. snag that uh, tripped up in the script of their mind or something, and that's what they'll remember. But everybody there had a great time. Yeah. It's hard doing what we do. Yeah. Being self-effacing is definitely a part of the a part of the deal. It feels like self-wounding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it never heals. It's Sometimes true. you get a bad show. Oh. Anyway, before we get to bad you. shows, let's talk about good shows and that. So you're you're doing that. You you followed along with uh, Ira, yeah. and then uh, you you you. I applied, did what? I applied for this program called the Transom Story Workshop. Oh um, yes, and it was very new. It was only the second class, and I got in. And so, in that program, you go to Cape Cod and you just restore, like, you go to Cape Cod, and it's basically like a two month audio boot camp. Um, it's taught by Rob Rosenthal, who's sort of like a legendary um, audio instructor. And it was just like the best, most affirming experience of my life. Well, good. That's amazing. Great. Transom, uh, we should explain, though, yes. is, a, is a like a, a what? Like it's a... like a um, – God, how would you describe Transom? I'm a little – Transom is like a amazing resource 
to radio, like to people in the radio and podcast industry. They have tons of articles about like, how do you start a podcast? Like anytime somebody reaches out to me and asks me how to start in the industry, I like point them to Transom and an extension of Transom are, is this basically like a school or mm-hmm. like a training program that they do um, two sessions of a year, a fall session and a spring session. So um, yeah, it, it's a great resource for any producer. And they're great advocates for uh, podcasting and, and starting it, as you said. Yes. Um, and so you have the, the passion, yeah. the, the drive to help people, uh, inkling to tell their stories, get them out there, and you have some good encouragement from a legend. Yes. You've got some comedic background with some good, talented people there, too. And you say, okay, I'm going to hone this through the... Oh, the whole time, are you still working in the nonprofits? You yeah. got to have some kind of day thing. Yeah. So I had, like, an amazing... I actually... Yesterday was Mother's Day, and I actually texted my old boss and was like, it's hard not to think of you today. She's Melanie Majors. She's this, like, amazing mentor of mine and she like let me work part-time hours so that I could do a radio internship she let me take a two-month leave of absence so that I could pursue this program because she knew it was my dream and she was like encouraging me to move into a new career while also working my old job and so I mean I just I yeah I've just been I've worked with so many like strong amazing women at every level of my career Mm -hmm. and so um yeah I had a lot of encouragement from her so I came back from my program I kept working as a community organizer um I did I interned at I did the 5 a.m internship shift at KFAI Shout out, which is the community radio station in Minneapolis, um, where I got to work with Dale Connolly, who's also like a radio legend. I like him already. Yeah, in Minnesota. (laughs) He's like the best. Um, Got to work with him. And then through like a series, I was freelancing a little bit. And then through a series of sort of lucky circumstances, um, a friend connected me with a job in New York to do become an audiobook producer at Simon and Schuster. Pretty and, good. Uh, great. Yeah. To move to New York with a job is like That's the way to hit, do it. I yes, hit the jackpot <laughs> and um I moved there and I produced all kinds of audiobooks and one of the um booming industries at the time was actually everybody's trying to cash in on the success of 50 Shades of Grey where they oh. bought up this random woman's like self-published book. Um <laughs> And it became a huge hit. So Simon and Schuster started buying up all of these erotic titles, which we call Romantica. And so a lot of my job was actually producing <laughs> these like erotic audiobooks. Um, I like that you came up with a new name for it. <laughs> I can't take credit for that. No, but somebody did. Somebody did Romantica. <laughs> this, we can't make erotica. It's got to be Romantica. That's because isn't romance what it's all about at the end? Well, that's why I read it. that's why i read it and listen to it (laughs) look at it to feel romantic exactly yeah that's what it's like a bouquet of flowers a box of chocolate a box of chocolate same thing stuffed teddy bear from the cvs same thing the most romantic things you can do cressley cole check her out (laughs) yeah so you're doing and what did it get hot and heavy in the uh recording no I'm a little annoyed my, that I haven't been asked to do this. My, <laughs> my voice is very soothing. <laughs> oh, what are you wearing? <laughs> are these sheet silk? <laughs> I 
Let me get my robe. You know, I have somebody. I'll put you in touch. You're a natural. <laughs> Thank you. I might have to take a break, actually. <laughs> it is getting warm in here. Oh, I've romanticized myself. <laughs> That's the power. That's the power of it. But, um, yeah, I was just, it was, my job, like, could not have been less glamorous. Like, it was, a lot of it was, like, just making sure that our scripts were ready to go, working with other people in the building to make sure that, like, the passes were ready, getting people lunch. Sure. Very yeah. sensual. All of it. I thought you were going to say essential, but also sensual. Essential. Those two things go hand in hand. Yes. Sometimes literally. But my point is, were you bringing in uh, celebs to do this? Did you have like Alec Baldwin reading some of this stuff? There were some celebs. Um, like Jeanette Walls recorded an audio book with oh. us. And she's, I mean, she's amazing. Um, let me think. We brought in, oh my God, I'm having... It's okay. Maybe it's okay. You don't have to go through the whole list. Well, I did meet some great celebs. <laughs> yeah. Jeanette Walls was one of my favorite authors, so it was really exciting to meet her. That is and work with her. But yes, there were some other celebs who I also got lunch for. You got, yep. <laughs> Fabio? Was it Fabio? Ugh, I wish. <laughs> that hair. Oh. <laughs> brushing against the mic. I long dream of hair like that. <laughs> and unbuttoned shirts. How do you convey the unbuttoned shirt in audio? You have to put punch in a sound effect? Yeah, you just do a sound effect. <laughs> it's just, I assume it's just a guy with coconuts. It's every Foley totally. artist. Yeah. A rain stick. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is very erotic. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> the rain stick. I'm a professional. From time immemorial. Time memorial. Mm-hmm. How do you say that? Immemorial. 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 Yeah, there you are. There you go. <laughs> the rain stick has been used <laughs> to, to enhance the erotic story of humanity. Amen. <laughs> so, okay. And then uh, then you want to do podcasting? Yeah. So, um, Were you thinking I'd do a mm, erotic podcast? No. Are there no, erotic podcasts my... that I haven't listened to? It's... There Are must there be. what? There has to be. There must be. That really flies under the radar, doesn't it? Sure does. I'm just realizing that now. This is a market waiting to be cornered. <laughs> you think VHS came about because of all the pornography and everything? I haven't really given it that much thought, but... <laughs> well, it's time to, I think. Get Ira Glass. Send him an email. <laughs> what do you think? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Part one, the robe. <laughs> oh, but actually, so my first long-form piece I did, though, yes. was about dildos. <laughs> That's true. And how does that relate to Ira Glass? Well, it doesn't relate to Ira Glass, but okay. it does relate to the whole romantic Oh, I see. Thing. I see. So, right. yeah, don't... <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so my first my first long form piece I was doing freelance work and um I made a little I did a when I was in Minneapolis I did do like a web video series and um that was sort of like my first time producing anything and it's just something I did for fun with friends and um I did this story on video with my mom um about dildos and uh it became I was like, I was really proud of it. And I was like, oh, this would translate great to an audio story. So that was like the first time I tried to make a long form piece. And so. Was it her idea? To, no. To subject matter? It was It was definitely my idea. Um, I The story is that one day I was like walking down the street with my mom and we were getting brunch and she sort of like 
was like very focused on this house across the street and I was like why are you looking at this house and she's like I actually had the worst date of my life there oh. and I was like tell me more mom <laughs> and what happened is it was the 1970s and she went on a date with this guy and they were going to go out for drinks and dinner and so they got drinks first and he's like you know what why don't you just come to my house I'm going to make you dinner oh. and she said Okay, and so she she gets to his house, and there's this huge freezer, like a huge um, chest freezer. And my mom always says it was like this perfect size for a dead body, and it almost blocked the entire front door to the house. And he was like, you know what, do you mind if we do TV dinners, actually? I'm like, not that good of a cook. And also it was the 70s, so TV dinners were like not good then. Like the technology was still bad. They're, they're still pretty bad. Yeah, and <laughs> fair, fair. But yes. And so she was like, ugh, okay, I guess. And he opened up the freezer door, and half of it was chock full of TV dinners, and then the other half was full of dildos. And my mom had never seen one before, but she knew what they were, and... He was like, um, he was like, um, you know, she she looked very shocked. She looked very, very shocked and sort of like stared off into the distance. And he could tell that he had unnerved her, obviously. And, um, and so he says, listen, the real reason I brought you here is that I run a sex, a sex club. And so every week on Tuesday nights, um, what we do is we put TV dinners in the oven, and then while we wait for them to cook, we have group sex. And then when the timer goes off, we stop having sex, and we all eat the TV dinners together. And I was wondering if you'd be interested in being a part of this. And my mom says she just bolted all the way home in her like 1970s platform heels. So that was my first long. So my first long form piece was that story. Uh. <laughs> and my mom. <laughs> oh, the sensual Salisbury steak. So, so just some ideas. Just some ideas if you want to use them. But uh, my mom... Start a sex club. Yeah, start a sex club. (laughs) Most importantly. But my mom was like, I just don't want to be known as the dildo lady around town. (laughs) That was her only request. Because of your storytelling. Because of my storytelling. Oh, I really, (laughs) really like that. And I see why you were drawn to that story. Uh, I feel like he and Dalai's ought to get together. Oh, my God. What a perfect couple. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's how things turned out. Kismet. You keep the freezer on the front. <laughs> they do things different in Minneapolis, uh, I guess. Sure do. Usually, I'd expect to uh, find one of those in the basement. That's like a meat locker. That's where you keep your extra ice cream tubs, uh, maybe cuts of venison. That's probably where he keeps all the skeletons. <laughs> I also appreciate uh, a group that will get together. And have sex for about 30 minutes. <laughs> she said they would all watch the news. They'd all watch the news together and maybe go they, home. They, maybe they were doing it wrong. I think so. I think so. <laughs> That's, wow. We're just, just fellas? <laughs> what, what was going on I, there? I mean, I think oh. it was chicks, dudes. Well, well, as we said, if you're not on the Sky Bridge, you need something to do in Minneapolis. Oh, the Sky Bridge. <laughs> The cantilevered platform? Sure. That was a stop on my, um, I used to be a Segway tour guide, and that was also a stop on my tour. Oh, nice. 
<laughs> Sorry, rough. we're still, I'm like really stretching this whole question out. <laughs> you just asked me how just, I got into radio. Just roll right up. Just. <laughs> you think there's a Segway sex club? There must be. Another market waiting to be cornered. Oh, we're really tapping into it. Yeah, this it. is good. Shark Tank. <laughs> yeah, here we come. Can you imagine <laughs> us presenting on that? <laughs> and if you want to start a sex club, we have a line of freezers. <laughs> Branch out. Hash the dildo compartment and TV dinners go right in here. Oh, my gosh. That's quite a thing. Yeah, quite I want, a story. I want to know so much more about this, this fellow. The I, 70s, what was happening? In Minneapolis yeah. as well. Every story my mom tells me from the 70s in Minneapolis is just, like, insane. Just the Wild West out They're there. They're all crazy, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Trying to huddle together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess one of the questions, though, is how do you then, you know, uh, hone what it is you want to do? Yeah. Because I've met with people. Mm-hmm. Okay, Joanna. I've met with people. I say, what do you think I should do with the show? Because it really uh, goes on just me talking. This is my charisma. You know, that's it. And people say, well, you need a hook. You need an angle. I don't want to make this show about Real Housewives. I don't, I don't care about that. You know, it has to be about things that I'm interested in. Yeah. People that have had interesting backstories and spent time in places where nothing's going on. <laughs> But do you think being charismatic is enough, or do you think with the podcast, you have to have a thing, a hook? I mean, I think it's good. When I so I I left out. I also was doing improv. I like got over being shy and started doing improv in Minneapolis. And then when I when I, <laughs> a moth has come to I'll, visit, he almost caught it with his. I will hands. tell you, I changed into this sweater, which is warmer than I'd like it to be, because the other sweater I was wearing, I found two moth holes. Oh. So I'm not surprised to see that a moth just flew out from under my arm. And I apologize. That's like one of those old cartoons. Like yeah. when you pull out your pockets. I sleep in a drawer. And that's what happens. Blow out your candle. Time for bed. Um, but, uh, oh, so I, yeah, when I was like moving and transitioning into radio, though, I was like, okay, I'm an ex-community organizer who's done internships at reproductive health organizations. And... Uh, and Segway tour guy. <laughs> Segway tour. Yeah, I was like, um, I'm a reproductive, like, yeah, I'm a ex-community organizer with, like, an interest in comedy, and I've interned at, like, a reproductive health organization, which I was just like, how is this marketable? Who's going to want to work with me? And then what's crazy is that I ended up meeting um, Hillary Frank, who's the host of the Longest Shortest Time podcast, and she got in touch with me because she knew that I was, like, had an interest in, like, comedy and humor and um, I also had a background doing some reproductive health work, and she also wanted to do work that, like, engaged in a lot of different communities. And it ended up being that my skill set was sort of perfect for the job. And so that's – I do – I always tell people when they're starting out to really follow their interests. Yeah. Because I think it's going to take them to, like, the world of audio that they really, really want to be in. And so um, I worked on her show for about a year, and then – um, I stayed at WNYC while the longest, shortest time moved on from the station. And they were like, well, what kind of projects do you want to work on next? And I was telling them about, you know, my aspirations for community engagement. And um, as I was leaving, I was like, oh, also, I'm really interested in comedy. I love comedy. I love going to stand-up shows. I do storytelling. And they were like, okay. And then, less like, two months later, I'm the 
producer of Two Dope Queens. Wow. So, yeah, it was. So th- they had the idea then, Jessica and Phoebe, to bring that mm-hmm. into the audio space. Yes. So Jen. So <laughs> As we say. Yes. So Jen Poyant, who's another producer at WNYC, she is the person who saw Phoebe and Jessica perform and were like, we have to. They have to have a podcast. Was it already established as two dub queens? Yes. So okay. it had been a live show. So they were like hosting it with years. Union Hall and various places yes. and gaining an audience size and all yes. that stuff. And similar to how it is now, they mm-hmm. would bring comedians on. Yes. And then they'd kind of banter in between. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so we recorded it and it just like really took off. You can tell that people wanted to hear perspectives from women like Phoebe and Jessica and like the comedians that we have on the show, their range and just like so many different diverse perspectives were on the show in every single episode. And like um, representation was one of the top prior has been like the top priority of the show from the beginning. And it's success, I think speaks so much to what audiences are looking for right now. Um, So yeah, it's, it was, it's been an amazing project to work on. It's uh, sometimes things happen where something is so of the moment Mm-hmm. That it's just it it uh, is undeniable, mm-hmm. and that's how it feels with that kind of a, with that show. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But it has to exist at this moment. Yeah, and uh, for a while, I hope. Yeah, as long as they want to do it. Do you think podcasts yeah. should last forever? I think they should last as long as people enjoy doing them. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. I mean, you're on your tenth season. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Yeah, I don't know though. Beyond? Do you enjoy knows? it? Mostly. We're having a nice time. I'm having a great time. I like time. this part. <laughs> Keep doing it. <laughs> okay. See, you're my letter. You're my email. Oh, my God. From Ira. Amazing. I- I'll play this when I'm feeling low. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you also co-host a comedy show. So you haven't yes. given all that up. You're still able to keep doing with the storytelling and the comedy. Yeah. So I co-host a live comedy show in Brooklyn. It's called Art School. Yeah. I went to art school. Did you? Oh, actual art school or the comedy a- show? No, actual art school, oh. which is its own kind of comedy show. And you wear uh, black turtlenecks in your flyers for the show. Yes. I wear black turtlenecks all the time. Joanna, are we the same person? I mean, this is an amazing thought experiment. (laughs) Am I? I don't know. What if this is a dream? (laughs) Oh, that would be quite something for you. (laughs) Uh, Did you attend art school? No. No. Well, okay. So you're just just making fun of it. Just pretty much. (laughs) No, we're embracing we're embracing the ethos. Oh yes. Of an experimental comedy space. So Uh, the whole focus of the show is to try to bring people in from like different sort of like. We have interpretive dance. We had a magician. I read a piece of original writing um, at our last show. So it's really, it's video, everything. So we try to sort of expand on the idea of like what comedy is and bring in people who are trying to um, go further outside the box. It sounds very uh, bohemian, very uh, coffee shop. We try. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of snapping. We try. (laughs) Do you believe in fate? I think, yes. I think so. Yeah. Seems yeah. like uh, somehow you've been able to, as you say, pursue interests, keep keep going with it. But mm-hmm. sometimes you have to be led a little bit along. So it would seem to me that something like fate is it, is it work. There's been a lot of serendipitous 
things that have happened. And you have to you have to go with that. Yeah. Honing your instinct is a big part of it. For sure. When the young people fax me, that's what I tell them. <laughs> Are you generally a lucky person? Um, I'm like a uh, am I a lucky person? As a half Jewish Midwesterner, I have to say, like. That feels braggy. <laughs> do you ever feel like, well, my luck's gone. I've got to do something to get it back. Oh, no. No. Mm-mm. Oh. See, I, sometimes I'll charge my crystals, and I'll have them there on my dresser. And then I, if something's out of place, I think, I'm just going to go with it. I'm ready for new energies and new experiences. And then that day will be horrible. And I'll go home, and I'll turn that crystal back around to its original spot. You can tell because the dust collects where the crystals are not sitting. (laughs) (laughs) And I try to do that. I just set my expectations as low as possible much of the time. Oh, that's a nice thing to do. It's really healthy. That probably helped in dating, too. (laughs) It did. (laughs) Although, again, if you approach the home and there's a freezer outside, walk away. Turn around. Find some reason to get out of there. There's nothing good in there. (laughs) No. Nothing. Is there any adult skill that you wish you had uh, that you, some, you find yourself doing something you think, oh, gosh, I wish somebody had told me how to do this? I'm terrible at cooking. Cooking? I'm a terrible cook. Might I suggest TV dinners? <laughs> Trauma! <laughs> I can make eggs and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Not a hot dish? No, despite my background. Well, no. I'd like to make a nice tater tot casserole <laughs> and I'm, I'm just helpless at it. <laughs> I know some people that could help you out. <laughs> I bet you Give do. Give me some tips. <laughs> I, bet. I need to do a, a, a hot dish immersion program. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a transom for that? <laughs> Again, just another market waiting to be cornered. <laughs> I'm full of good ideas. <laughs> That's why I talk. I also think plumbing would be helpful. Oh, yeah. Great skill. I've got a backed up tub right now. <laughs> It is impossible. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, uh, we, there were a lot of emails. Uh, speaking of emails, I think yeah. uh, public radio might uh, really thrive on emails. But uh, we had a lot of emails going back and forth to set this date, to yeah. get everything together. Yeah. And there was another person involved yeah. in that. And I, I told that person we'd speak to public radio and its its impact. And I think we have to a certain degree. Yeah. And how much – because I just – I have to tell you, I've, I've listened to it forever. Yeah. And I love it almost as much as I love turtlenecks, which is a lot. And I've listened Basically to it. Basically our demographic. <laughs> That's what I think. That's what I, I know because I live it. But since I discovered it in Philadelphia, growing up with WHYY. Great station. And the way that he says the last Y always drags on a little too long. And it's always perfect. <laughs> I don't know if he still does it. And WGBH in Boston. Mm-hmm. Oh, they have a nice logo. Mm-hmm. It glows. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to listen to Celtic Sojourn. Put on the old Lorena McKennett. Ooh. Put that on repeat. Ooh. And just, you know, zone out and have a good time with it. KQED in San Francisco. Yes. KCET in Los Angeles. Or KCRW. Oh, I haven't listened to the Los Angeles station. <laughs> oh, yeah. Get into it. Check it out. You want to listen to hear about bands, you do KCRW. I love KCRW. Sure. What's this band? I don't know. <laughs> now I know. But the granddaddy of them all now, WNYC. WNYC. A good place over there. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, sorry. That's all right. It's, <laughs> um, you can get emotional talking about uh, it. 
It's when a I just great read place. call letters. <laughs> My favorite's when Terry Gross says Cape May Courthouse. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm reminded that that's a place that exists. <laughs> Kate May Courthouse? <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Oh, listen for it next time. I will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, WNYC, it's a great place. It's a great place. Now, sometimes when I'm driving out there to Ohio, Pennsylvania, I listen to West Virginia Public Radio. Ooh. And there's a guy out there who uh, sounds like he's got a long white beard. <laughs> you know? Does it brush against the microphone? It sounds like it does. <laughs> and he's got a real country accent, and he talks like that, you know. He's a real, uh, it's a, it's something. And I like it. And I like imagining the people that listen. And I remember seeing the people mm-hmm. from public radio and being mm-hmm. quite shocked. Peter Sagel, uh-huh. shocking. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I thought. Did anybody surprise? I don't know. I guess hair and less eyebrows. I met someone recently who said he intentionally avoids any image of Jad Abumraj because he doesn't want to know what he actually looks like, which I think is weird and delusional. But if that's what you need to do, but now you're follow wa- your bliss. That's true. And if you're walking around there in the studios, mm-hmm. do you ever just encounter somebody and it's like, oh, my gosh, like Susan Stanberg's there with her cranberry relish, and you think, oh, my, I wasn't expecting you. <laughs> do you mean hosts or yeah. guests? hosts. Oh, Honey, yeah. Hosts. I see him all the time. That's so exciting. Yeah, I, it must be yeah, terribly I was, thrilling. I was very starstruck, especially when I was starting out. <laughs> I bet. Because <laughs> I was like, I made it. I applied to so many internships at WNYC, couldn't get my foot in the door. And now look at you. Now now I work there. Top of the heap. Yeah. And uh, are, you, you get, are there cool parties and stuff? Cool parties. At the station? Yeah. I mean, our holiday party is... Wild. Well, I don't want you to go in, into it because I don't want you to cut it, you know. And it, oh gosh, we can't we can't reveal those <laughs> secrets. But you got to meet Terry Gross recently too, or you talked to her? Oh, <clears throat> so Did that was a in? remote. That was a remote interview. She might not exist. <laughs> <laughs> she does it all remotely, doesn't she? It's Siri. <laughs> <laughs> Siri, that would be quite a thing. Uh, I would like to do a full NPR parody station. Could we do that? Um. I can't work on it with you, but I'll listen. Okay. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> I just feel like I know it so well. And I would be making jokes that probably three of us would really enjoy. I say go for it. I think you would be exceptional at it, especially well, with your total nut con- collection. Oh, oh yes. Oh, my God. I just got one in a different color. I don't want to say too much. Oh, my God. <laughs> Look out. Yeah, we do a turtleneck swap down at the piers. <laughs> and uh, if you're ever interested, I invite you to come down. I would love to check it yeah, out. Yeah, it's good to get them this time of year, too, because we, we start get a little discount. Yeah. You know, because it gets warm. It being summer and all. It be- <laughs> yeah, it gets, gets to be not turtleneck <laughs> weather. Minneapolis, all year round. All year round. Perfect. Day Go to the in, lakes. day out. That's what day it. is it? It's turtleneck day. That's right. Enjoy it. Sit by the lake. <laughs> Cut a hole somewhere and put a rod in it. <laughs> Joanna, what's going to happen next? Oh. You've got all your programs. They're all, all happening. I've got all my programs. Is it tough to juggle? It's busy. Yeah. It is really busy, but it's... Um, because I also I um and I'm also Phoebe Robinson's honor sidekick in so many white guys yes, as I've, well. Yes, I failed to mention it, but yes, of course. So it's yes, so many it's white just, guys. Just you know, there's a lot happening. I'm working on three different shows, but um, it's all like my job is to just laugh. 
<laughs> I love working on comedy shows because like I laugh every hour that I'm working on just by nature of like the content that we're working with. Um, and then I laugh with my editors about it and I laugh with my engineer about it and I laugh with the hosts about it. And it's just, it is really, it's nice to work on a show where it is comedy. And especially like I was saying, it's um, really energizing to be working with women. Absolutely. Who are just like doing the thing. They're amazing. Well, it's wonderful yeah. uh, to, to approach uh, life with such compassion and wanting to help people and find yourself at a point still early in your career where you can enjoy uh, the work and uh, uh, produce something that brings a lot of people joy, but also yourself. It's key. As you said, you have to you have to like what you're doing. Yeah. It's rare to find that kind of a thing. Yeah, it's lucky. Well, I'm uh, you're a hero of mine. Joanna, I love your work, and it's been such a thrill to get to talk with you and find out a little bit. I don't know if I'll follow the path exactly as you set forward, (laughs) but I'll try. I mean, with all these business ideas you have in the works. I got some. I got some things (laughs) rocking around the noodle. (laughs) Probably lots. I'll spend the summer working on those. And see, you're going to go away? You're going to go back to Minneapolis for the summer? Get any time off? Um. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, yes, I am going back to Minneapolis to hang out with family. I'm also really excited. I did study abroad in Ecuador, so I'm going to go back to Ecuador and hang out with my host families. Oh, wonderful. Which I'm excited about. So I have some fun fun summer plans in the works. Well, and for- I'm also yes. going to Denmark as I'll be a speaker at International Podcast Day on June 12th. Wow. So come check Well, that it comes out. up so fast. It I always- does. <laughs> It always surprises me. <laughs> June or International Podcast International Day? Podcast Are you Day. going? No, oh. no, I, I I didn't know it was a thing. But that's uh, it's wonderful that you are. Yes, that's a great honor. Yeah, I'm excited. That's good. Will people be listening with headsets? No, people understand. I think I'm going to be in a room with people in it. Oh, oh. those are my favorite kinds of rooms. <laughs> Truly. Well, uh, I would suggest a full turtleneck for Denmark, and if you're in Ecuador, just cut the sleeves off and go with a turtle tank. And you'll be fine. (laughs) I'm going to use Turtle Tank. I love it. Please do. (laughs) Joanna, I wish you continued success on everything that you're doing. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, wasn't that fun? It was fun. It's what that was. It was just fun. I don't know uh, that I've laughed quite as hard in... uh, uh, (laughs) in some time during a, a story. Uh, that was just great. My thanks to Joanna. We're not going to keep this episode a secret. We're not going to bury this one. It's a good one. Uh, lucky numbers this week are 11, 11, and 11, as in will there be an 11th season of this show? I don't know. I'm going to my northern ashram to find myself and cool down in a bath of cactus milk and chamomile. You'll know if I come back. Personalized reading this week goes out to Jillian Kembers in Idlewild Canyon outside of Winnipeg. Oh, hello up there, Jillian. You should, like, travel and see the world. Like, radio will be here when you get back. And, you know, what an amazing experience to be able to, like, go to a different country with someone you love. Thank you for tuning in to our frequencies this week, friends. And remember, although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is brought to you by the Guana Souvenir Shop in Brooklyn and McGinty Salt Lamp Emporium and Discount Flooring in Bay Ridge. Simply the best for a good night's rest. Two things a body needs, a floor and some salt. McGinty's. 
Deep Night Season 10, podcast icon by Kelsey Roten. Season 10 theme by Zach Gabbard. Music throughout the show by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm. And a few weird things at the top of the show that I just download for cash from the internet. Venue support provided by the Slipper Room in New York City and recording studio services provided by Harvestworks in Soho. Thanks to all of my guests, Deep Night is independently produced and performed by James Bewley. Thank you for listening, and please consider rating and reviewing the show on whatever podcasting forum you're participating in, but especially on Apple Podcasts, which does a great deal toward making Dale feel great. That's me. When he gets up, or is it? When he gets up in the morning for his son's salutations. Are you the best? You are. Close the portal.